Hello once again, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on this Wednesday, November 25th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be chatting today with professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. We will attempt to navigate week 13 here in college football and attempt to do the same thing on the college basketball side. We are recording this on Monday afternoon for the Wednesday show, so Some of these games may have been canceled. Some of them will probably have line moves. Just want to throw that out here at the top of today's show, but want to make sure we got some information out to you. We'll do the same thing in college football that we always do. Regression stats, box score notes, talk about some games, stuff like that. Then on the college hoops side, we'll tell you which stats matter the most when it comes to handicapping. We'll talk about some tempo things, some coaching changes, some general knowledge stuff for college basketball because Frankly, we don't know which games will get played on Wednesday and how many games will actually get played here uh, over the course of the next few weeks in college hoops. But whatever gets played, college football, NFL, college basketball, you'll be able to read about it over at ATS.io. My updated college football power ratings posted over there, some sportsbook promotions that you want to check out. And of course, links to download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store, in the Apple Store, or if you head over to ATS.io, click on the download links, it will take you to the corresponding place, either in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store, to download that ATS app. It's a bet tracker. It's got an odd screen, stats, trends, information, ATS standings, points scored per game, points against per game, some advanced analytics in there as well. And of course, article integration from ATS.io. Very powerful tool to have at your fingertips, to say the least. With that, we bring on professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And Kyle, how's it going today, man? You know, I'm still uh, uh, feeling a little down from the weekend here in football. I had a really rough weekend. Had all kinds of line moves in my favor, and it didn't matter. You know, those are really discouraging because, you know, you get four or five games that move in your favor by four or five points, and you lose all of them. And and that's that's pretty hard to take, but... It is kind of this year is so much different. I feel like there's a lot more variance this year than there has been any of the other seasons. And um, I don't like to give excuses. You know, I feel like I should be performing better than I am right now. At the same time, there are definitely more unknowns than what there usually are. Well, and you and I were talking before we started recording here. You know, I said as much on my Monday show that I'm going to tread very, very lightly here as we go forward. But you know, these teams that haven't played in a little bit of a period of time because of COVID or these teams that have known COVID outbreaks, it feels like there have been pretty significant adjustments to their power ratings. And I talked about this on Monday. I have overlays on Miami of Ohio against Akron, a big one on Southern Miss and UAB, had one on Western Kentucky and Charlotte before that game got canceled. So we, you know, we don't know, nobody knows on this side of the counter or on the other side of the counter how to price COVID, whether it's cases active on a team or a team coming off of cases, a team trying to scramble to find enough players to play, stuff like that. It's just everywhere you turn, there's just some other variable in college football this year that you know is very hard to account for. And to be honest with you, I'm not having a good college football season. You know, you mentioned you've had some tough weekends here. A lot of people I talk to kind of struggling on the college football side. I think it just kind of comes with the territory this year with, with all of the uncertainty on top of, you know, trying to handicap the natural variance of the sport. Yeah, definitely. And uh, uh, this is a, it's been, it's been a rough, rough one to try to figure out what to do with, you know, I I need to keep making plays. I've had my volume be a little bit lower than normal. Um, I think that will continue to be the case in college football and college basketball. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but um, you know, it's, it's, 
hard to know how to price any of these things. Like you said, um, I'm going to shy away from sides even more than I do totals. Um, I think sides are really hard um, trying to pick an ATS winner based on, um, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's all a big unknown. And I feel like this far into the season, we should know usually, and this year we don't really know. I still think that if I continue to get that many that move in my favor, as far as closing line value, I will improve here. And, um, you know, I've, I've also had a really bad, I'm down in college football. I've had a really bad NFL season. So um, disappointing season thus far. And I have to say too, I'm, I'm, as we're sitting here talking, I'm reading some of the, the tweets here about Joe Burrow and I'm getting uh, even more uh, discouraged as I read those. Yeah. Uh, not, not a pretty picture uh, for Joe Burrow yesterday. And uh Look, I can tell you one thing. A lot of us cannot wait for January 1st, 2021, when that clock strikes midnight, we can finally put uh, this hellacious year behind us, which it's been a tough year in so many ways for so many people. And I know that, you know, we're talking about it from a betting standpoint. Now, granted, you know, your livelihood's tied to it. And so is mine as a content creator. So, you know, we we can kind of uh, lament what's happening here. Obviously, there are much larger things at play in, in a lot of other areas of the world. But, man, it's just... I, I, the thing of it is, and I talked about this with Brad Powers on last week's show, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again as we go forward here. Like, there's nothing I can take from this season either. Like, you know, usually you look back at a season and you say, okay, maybe I didn't account for this enough. Maybe I need to adapt in, you know, this certain way, something like that. I, I feel like there's, I feel like it's a complete throwaway. I feel like there's nothing yeah. that I can really take from this year. And, and another thing that Brad mentioned last week and something we'll continue to talk about going forward too I mean, what this has done from a recruiting standpoint, you know, not having high school football in a lot of states, not having a lot of JUCO action in a lot of states, that, you know, throws some wrinkles into the preparation for next season too. So, you know, again, for us, like I said, I mean, there, there are obviously much larger things at play for a lot of people and a lot of other, you know, industries. But for us, I mean, you know, we're, we're sort of walking blind in the next season in some degree too. I agree with that. And I think that's a really good point you just brought up. Um, you know, at the end of every week, I try to go back and look and see, you know, I grade my handicap of, of that particular play. And this year, it's really hard to grade those. I mean, it's really hard to say whether that was a, a good play, bad result, or whether it was something different. Um, at the end of this season, I have a feeling I'm going to be saying, you know, um, at this point, you know, we're this far into the season and I'm definitely uh, disappointed with my results at the same time, I can't really point to, okay, I've done this wrong. You know, I've, I've done this and that wrong. And this is what I'm going to do different. I don't know that I've really done anything that I need to change. Um, you know, obviously, like I said, I'm going to be careful on how many sides I play, but you know, it's hard to take too much from this year. And like you said, when we start next year, it's going to be like, okay, so we, we take what we got last year being this season and pretty much discount it because I, I think, you know, both of us want to be optimistic. I think next year is going to be a lot better than this year. So um, I don't want to sound pessimistic about next year, but you know, I, I feel like two years ago is going to be more normal to uh, or more like what next year will be. So this year, like you said, is kind of be a throwaway year. And I, I think that won't be the case just in college football. It will be the case in a lot of sports. Well, and again, I mean, the tough thing is, you know, look, I, like a lot of times I go off of the previous year's power ratings as kind of a base to start the next season. Well, I don't think Florida State will be 88th in my power ratings, you know, going into week one next year. I don't think South Carolina will be 78th. I don't think Michigan State will be 79th. You know, I don't think that Minnesota is going to be 64th, you know. So 
there's also that too, where some of these teams have just had things just dramatically snowball on them this year, just out of control. So can't even really take that away. But the one thing I will tell you, and, and you know this, and it's it's easier said than done, but all you can do is control getting the best of the number. And you've done that a lot and you've got closing line value. And yeah, you can't pay your mortgage with closing line value. You can't put food on the table for your kids with closing line value. But we know that that is an indicator of long-term success, getting out, beating the market, getting the best of the number that you can, not settling for the closing number, stuff like that. And you've been able to do that. So, you know, you know that you know, philosophically, or at least what you're doing in practice is still working. It's just the results aren't coming. And whether it's, you know, COVID, whether it's just, uh, you know, the, the di- inherent difficulties of handicapping collegiate athletes, whatever it is, I mean, you're controlling what you can control. And it's hard to sell that to clients and other people that, you know, follow along with the plays and stuff like that. But uh, it's all you can do, man. You know, whether it's a COVID year or not, all you can do is, is put yourself in the best position to make money and, uh, you know, have to hope that that's good enough. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, going forward, if I continue to get that CLV, I think things are going to improve. And my long-term track record has been really good. I still expect things to get better. Um, I just like to be totally transparent and say all of my thoughts on here. You know, that's why I try to be different. I know that uh, Brad Powers is the same way. Uh, Blessing is a very transparent guy as well. You don't have guys on this on this uh, uh, radio show that, that are going to be misleading. But I know that some other people try to say things like, well, you know, I, I had a great play on this. And then they had three other losers and they don't say anything about those. You know, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I never want to be that guy. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm disappointed with my results so far. I still think the process is good. And, and um, I know that some people have said that they've still been able to uh, benefit from some of the free information and the uh, regression uh, stuff. And I've, I've heard from several people that are really looking forward to our college basketball information. So uh, looking forward to keeping going here with giving out a lot of information that can help people. You know, we will be doing some of that college basketball stuff here shortly, but, uh, you know, I, I guess the last thing I'll say is that, you know, I, I've noticed that myself and my guests, I mean, that this show can kind of be almost therapeutic. You know, we kind of, <laughs> we have our platform, we, you know, get up on our soapboxes and, and rant and riff and go on and on and, you know, Hey, it helps. And I, and I think to some degree too, it makes us more relatable to the listeners who, you know, I'm sure that they're all, they've all at some point in time, gone through the same things that we're going through and in fact maybe they're going through them along with us here you know which of course we're sorry for that if it's been you know because of of the information that we've given out but uh you know hey i mean look we talk about this all the time this is this is not a get rich quick scheme unless you hit one of those you know nine hundred thousand dollar parlays that all the the major mainstream media outlets talk about uh this is a long-term business and again all you can control is you know being prepared being organized getting the best of the number and hoping that of course it winds up working out in your favor. And you know, there are other ways to, to go about this. You know, if you're having a bad year, maybe you turn to live betting, finding good opportunities in game that kind of, you know, um, offset some of your losses or you attack player prop markets or something like that. You know, we try to make this show as approachable as we can for all of the listeners, you know, from the absolute novices to the people that maybe use this more as a supplement. So, you know, we're kind of focusing on the bigger picture more often than not, but there are opportunities from a live standpoint, player props, derivative markets, all those kinds of things that can help you, you know, for the full game market. But it is hard for us to go on to such a micro level here on the show with the time that we have. We keep things generally kind of more on a macro level. So, you know, hopefully people have kind of taken some of the things we've talked about and applied them to, you know, different disciplines here 
in this business. But uh, look, let's just go ahead and talk about some of the box score and regression stuff and try to find some long-term things that should really help us. And, you know, really something right at the top for both of us here is that I know Cincinnati won 36 to 33, and that would imply that the game was close. If you look at the box score, that game was not very close. Cincinnati was dominant defensively in that one. Yeah, UCF got out to a lead to start with, and then Cincinnati took the lead. I know UCF scored and got the two-point conversion, and everybody saw the end of the game, um, how uh, Cincinnati intentionally didn't score. Uh, And I know that affected the point spread, so if you had Cincinnati, that was a bad beat, certainly. Also, Cincinnati, 11 penalties, UCF only five. Um, The AAC is uh, notorious for these um, widespread penalty issues. You know, it could be one team or it could be another, but there's going to be a lot of flags. You know, it might look about like the the Packers-Colts game did yesterday for a while. But, um, you know, Cincinnati 6.0 yards per play, 4.3 for UCF. Um, Cincinnati now goes to play Temple. Uh, One of my correct plays from last weekend was East Carolina. And I'll be honest, that was one I was really scared to make. Uh, Probably about my least favorite play last week, and that ended up winning. Temple is in a – I mean, they are in big trouble. Um, You know, I I don't know what to think of of Cincinnati laying that kind of number. But UCF also not in a great spot, but playing against a USF team that's – that, uh, you know, doesn't have much to play for now. But, But really, Cincinnati, I think the big takeaway here is Cincinnati is definitely the real deal. Yeah, Cincinnati, a couple real short field goals there, one from the 26, one from the 22. As you mentioned, you know, they had that that intentional whatever you want to call it at the end of the game there. Uh, you know, so they were right there knocking on the door to go ahead and score again. They fumbled a punt return that I believe UCF scored on. So Cincinnati left some points on the field, made some mistakes, still won the game, and looked really good defensively in the process. UCF ran 84 plays in the 23 minutes that they had the ball. So Still a lot of tempo for them, just very inefficient offensively. We'll see if they pick that up here this week. As you mentioned, laying a monster number in Tampa, uh, 25. Now the number for that game against South Florida. A game that uh, was was ugly. Uh, look, just about every Big Ten game this season has been pretty damn ugly. Northwestern and Wisconsin, 17-7 to Northwestern. I don't know if they were the right side in that game or not, but uh, – that's a game where, I mean, that's set offense back to like before we had the forward pass. Yeah, um, I leaned under in that one and I passed because I thought, you know, well, 44 is awfully low. Obviously, it wasn't low enough, but uh, Wisconsin 4.5 yards per play there, Northwestern 3.9. Wisconsin had eight penalties, Northwestern had one. Uh, Northwestern also plus four turnover margin. Look, I really like Pat Pat Fitzgerald. I would say, you know, as a Buckeyes fan, I think Northwestern's probably my second favorite team in the Big Ten just as as a fan because I really like uh, Fitzgerald quite a bit. Um, The thing is, is Northwestern is really not great either. They're a good team. Um, We haven't seen that offense that was supposed to be so much better. Look, I think everybody thinks Ramsey is an upgrade at quarterback, but the offense still isn't very good. I know Wisconsin's defense is very good, but Northwestern's still not very good on offense. But that, that Northwestern defense is very good. It's just they're a team that I think you'd be care. You want to be careful laying too many points with them. No, I absolutely agree. And and something we found out, I think, you know, this past weekend here is uh, the Big Ten's not good. Right. It is just it is not a good conference. Ohio State is clearly a flawed team. I know both you and I dropped the Buckeyes in our power ratings. I dropped them three points. You dropped them two and a half. Uh, you know, the uncharacteristic fields turnovers were, were certainly a big issue in that game, but also uh, the pass coverage for Ohio State was bad. We, you and I have talked about this a ton, whether it's on the show 
or in texts back and forth. Master Teague ain't it. I mean, the dude's no. a battering ram, and he's a very good short yardage back, and he's very hard to tackle. And I know he had pretty good rushing numbers against Indiana, but that dude doesn't have a second gear, man. I mean, he's like towing an anchor behind him. And and maybe it's just because we're spoiled with Dobbins, but uh, Ohio State's a flawed team too. And in fact, I've got them, you know, clearly if they get to the college football playoff, clearly a dog now against both Clemson and uh, Alabama. So they should get there. I Maybe that was their scare. Maybe that'll kind of wake them up a little bit, but uh, the Big Ten sucks, buddy. They they really do because it feels like even the teams in the Big Ten who look pretty good right now, like Northwestern, are pretty flawed also. You know, some of the teams from the middle. Um, I think Wisconsin's a good team. Uh, Mertz is an upgrade at quarterback. You know, those turnovers were the issue the other day. Um, Wisconsin is is going to be pretty solid. We know Michigan's been terrible. Penn State has been terrible. Uh, Michigan State is on another level awful. And I mean, gosh, all these teams in the middle and the, the big 10 that usually are pretty decent. They're really bad now. Minnesota also um, Purdue should have won that game the other day. They got ripped off certainly. So uh, the big 10 is a very flawed conference. And, and I definitely agree with you about uh, master Teague. He's a huge downgrade. Um, you know, while you talk about from Ezekiel Elliott, um, Dobbins, even Mike Weber, Mike Weber was a lot better than, than Master Teague is. So um, Ohio State is, a, is clearly a good team, but, you know, I, they, it was there for them to cover against Indiana. They're up 35-7 and then 42-21, and then the pass defense just gives up too much. So I, I will say that I think you and I both agree that Indiana is not a great team either. So I, I think that we – I would want to warn people to be cautious about upgrading Indiana too much from that. No, I agree. And, and also for Ohio state, I mean, how the hell do you not have a better kicker? I, you're Ohio state yeah. for God's sake. Get a, you, you should have the best kicker in the country every year. I, I mean, whatever. Anyway, um, one game that we were on one game that we were not on because I didn't actually get Oklahoma state at nine and a half. It went to seven and I was like, okay, well, you know, I think that's probably kind of most of the line value out of that one. And Kansas State, and, you know, I was telling you this before the show, I think I texted this to you as well, and I've talked about this before, that sometimes it's the line move that doesn't happen that says the most. And you've got Iowa State and Kansas State. Iowa State laying double digits in a game with a fairly low-scoring expectation, two teams that are much better in the underdog role, and I'm sitting there, I'm happy as a clam, man. I got Kansas State plus 11. I'm thinking, all right, cool. This is going to close like nine, nine and a half, something like that. Maybe the spread will come into play. Maybe it won't. But I'll be comfortable with my position. I'm watching. I'm waiting. I'm looking at the board. Why isn't this moving? Why isn't this moving? Why isn't this moving? Saturday, it hasn't moved yet. And I go, Iowa State's going to win by 30. And in fact, they won by what, 45? So again, sometimes when you watch and you're expecting a line move and it doesn't come, that man, that's just a deflating feeling. And uh, I knew that that bet was dead from the jump. And it turns out that Oklahoma and Iowa State both won very, very comfortably last weekend. Yeah, and um, I'll start with the Oklahoma State and Oklahoma game. Oklahoma State has several injuries on the offensive line, and they can't run the football like they have in the past. Um, It also seems like Lincoln Riley has figured out Mike Gundy. I mean, Mike Gundy can't do anything right against Oklahoma. Um, You know, Oklahoma has had some guys come back that weren't there at the beginning of the season. And I think that's making a difference for them. I I think they're clearly a better team than they were a few weeks ago. Oklahoma state seems to be going in a different direction. I know Spencer Sanders is playing with uh, a bit of an injury and then they bring in uh, Illingsworth or Illingworth and 
I think he was like five for 21 passing. I mean, it, it was, it was really, really bad. Um, fortunately, I didn't bet that one. I will, I will give props to one of our listeners, um, a listener of the show who is an Oklahoma fan uh, sent me a message and said, you know, I'd be careful about taking Oklahoma state here because Oklahoma has really had their number and Oklahoma is getting a lot healthier. Um, I wrote him back after the game and gave him some props on that one. Cause I was leaning Oklahoma state there. Um, you know, this, this is one where I think that Oklahoma state's a tough team to bet here in the next few weeks. Uh, Oklahoma is a team that I'd rather bet on than against at this point, but laying a lot of points with Oklahoma has not been a winning proposition in the big 12. So um, not sure what to do with them. As far as Iowa state, Kansas state, you know, I'm not sure whether to say I'm a total dumbass for taking Kansas State or if I should just say, you know, if you look at it on paper. So let's put team A versus team B and let's give a total of 46 and a half and plus 11. Um, And what the two sides had stats wise, you're going to win 55 percent or more of your bets. And it's it's a proven very good angle to take a big underdog with a low total. So from that standpoint, I don't think that, you know, we did anything wrong. On the other hand, Kansas State had a lot of COVID issues. I know there were several guys that sat out, some guys transferring from the program. So they missed several guys on Saturday. We didn't know that when we were talking about it last week. Um, Kansas State looked absolutely hapless. You know, I think that's probably the worst bet I've made all year. Um, You know, I think Iowa State probably could have won, you know, 60 something to nothing. At the end of the game, Iowa State was just taking it easy on them. So, um, you know, Kansas State, I don't know what to do with them going forward, but I do know I don't want to bet on them right now. It seems like they were kind of a smoke and mirrors team. At the same time, do you really want to bet against Kansas State a lot? Because Kleiman has made a lot of money for people. I believe uh, ATS-wise, since he's been um, at Kansas State, they've covered at least 70% of their games. Yeah, and I think he's like 10-4 and now or something like that as an underdog. So, uh, you know, not – not to be last weekend, I guess, but you know, that happens again. It's, it's just comes with the territory. And like I said, I mean, once I saw that that line never moved and maybe it was the COVID thing, you know, I, I didn't really realize that. And that's a, shit, man. That's another thing too. Like you don't know about these COVID things until after you lock in a bet or right before the game or, you know, Boise state's been notorious for that this year where yeah. you don't know who's playing until they actually, you know, kick off. And then you're, and it's like, Oh yeah. So these guys aren't playing. It's like, I mean, come on, man, like help us out here a little bit. Standardized injury reports in college football would be great, but you know, in the age of COVID probably wouldn't be happening anyway. Uh, you had a couple of Mac notes that you wanted to mention here as far as some box score things. Yeah. Real quick, before we go on, it looks like Kansas state has had over um, 80 players test positive for the what? year overall. Over so 80? Uh, it says, it says as of last week, I guess it was 78. And last weekend there were about 14 or 15 guys that missed the game. So uh, that, that certainly didn't help. And um, you know, we'll, we'll have cases like that. And obviously sometimes it'll work in your favor, but um, it's disappointing when things like that happen because you wish you knew more about it, but um, Mac notes. Yeah. Got to talk about the Mac a little bit. Western Michigan, 628 yards, 8.4 yards per play last week against Central Michigan. Central Michigan should be one of the best defenses in the Mac. And I know that that's, you know, that's not saying a lot, you know, I mean, it's, it's the Mac. Nobody plays very good defense, but Western Michigan so far this year, um, in three games, 8.15 yards per play. That's number one in the country. Now, I, I realize that they've uh, ran it up on some bad teams too, but 
Eskridge is a major problem. That guy is a really good player, and he's definitely an NFL player. Yeah, Western Michigan in that game, and I mentioned this on Monday's show, Caleb Ellaby, the quarterback, had 12 completions for 382 yards, and five (laughs) of them went for touchdowns. Five of his 12 completions went for touchdowns, 32 yards per catch, 31.8 actually, for Western Michigan. I mean, you want to talk about chunk plays. That'll do it. Speaking of chunk plays, uh, Kent State had a lot in the battle for the wagon wheel against my alma mater. Yeah, 750 yards and 9.6 yards per play. Don't bury the lead, 69 points. Right, yeah, yeah, definitely. I I think that might be why they stopped, because I think they could have scored right at the end of the game. (laughs) Uh, They could have had 76, but, I mean, why why get 76? Right. Um, But I think Kent State actually might be pretty decent. I mean, I had to upgrade them quite a bit. I think I upgraded them four and a half or five points. Um, I upgraded them four and a half points in my power ratings. Um, You know, Kent State, I think, is a good team. They're well coached. Their defense is still an issue, and they'll they'll give up a lot of points this year. But I think they're going to score a lot on a lot of teams in the MAC. Um, Kent State's a team I'd rather bet on than against right now. I bumped them up four, and I'm still low on this Buffalo number, so I clearly didn't go up enough. And and this is a Kent State team, too, that, I mean, they were very good in the second half of last year, got to a bowl game, covered a bunch of numbers in the process. And so far this year, they've proven to be pretty reliable, too. So looks like i got to bump them again here. I've got 11.5 on that game against Buffalo, and it was trending up a little bit on Monday morning, and then just an, an A-bomb of money came in on Buffalo, and it's seven – or on uh, Kent State, excuse me, it was 7.5 on Monday here as we're recording, obviously check and see what the line looks like now on Wednesday, but uh, some very influential people out there did like Kent state on Monday morning. So it looks like I'm going to have to make an adjustment to the golden flashes here as we go forward. A couple more real quick. Cause I want to make sure we get to the college basketball stuff and also get to chat a few games. You and I both highlighted this one, LSU and Arkansas, this box score. I don't know if I've ever seen one like this. So LSU wins 28 to 24. They ran 38 more plays than Arkansas, 91 to 53 in the play department. Arkansas outgained LSU running 38 fewer plays. The problem was Arkansas 0 for 10 on third down, LSU 12 for 23. Yeah, LSU won 27-24, so it was a point off of that. But uh, I remember that because oh, Arkansas bad. Arkansas had a chance to kick the the field goal that would have put it in overtime. And I think it was like 40-some yards away, and it came up about 10 yards short. Um, I mean, I know it was raining, but I, I thought that was pretty surprising. You know, you barely get it into the end zone when it's from 40-some yards away. Because um, I had the over in that game. <laughs> And uh, I'm watching the end of it and I say, okay, if it's long enough, it's, it looks like it's good. And then it's like, wow, you know, I wasn't expecting that, but uh, LSU 27, 24, Arkansas, 8.4 yards per play, LSU 4.6 yards per play, but Arkansas loses 0 for 10, like you said, and then 12 for 23 on third down. Um Arkansas had some real big chunk plays, obviously. I mean, that's the only way they even stayed in. Uh, that's that's why the yards per play is what it is and why the game was close. But Arkansas couldn't get it on third down. Um, they were a bit cautious on on some of their fourth down chances where maybe they could have gone for it. Um, I don't think LSU is very good right now, and I think Arkansas is a little bit better than what the score would look. So I think Arkansas is a team that I'd rather bet on than against. 
Well, of course, Arkansas moved into a favorite role against Missouri very early in the week here. And, and this is why box score study is important on Sundays because you will see line moves based on this stuff. Arkansas had nine yards per play against Florida the week before. Now, they gave up 63 points, but they had nine yards per play the week before. So uh, this Arkansas offense is legit, and the defense you know, could very well be legitimately bad. So you know, I'm a little bit surprised that total hasn't gone up, but Missouri, another one of those teams with a lot of COVID issues. Um, I know what Kendall Bryles is attached to. You know, I know what's in his past, having been there at Baylor, but with the way that both the NFL and college football are trending towards offense, somebody's hiring this dude as a head coach here, and I don't think it's that far off. Yeah, I agree. Um, um, like you said, there's some baggage there, but somebody's going to hire him. And, and uh, I mean, he'll, he'll probably do pretty good, to be honest. You know, like, like you said, the way it's going toward offense, uh, really good offensive mind. And Arkansas, look, they, they didn't exactly have a great offense to work with from the beginning of this year. And I know Franks came over to Arkansas, but I, I don't think anybody thinks that Franks is a great player. And the people around him are not very good. So I think Arkansas has really been pretty good on offense compared to what you would kind of expect. Now, I drove this point home on Monday, but I want to talk about it here real quickly, and then we're going to get into some regression teams. Arizona and Washington. This game in particular is one of the reasons why we drive home this box score study point. And of course, both Kyle and I do it to update our power ratings, but there's a lot of additional value, even if you don't do power ratings. As I said, you can get out in front of some line moves. Arizona and Washington. In the first three quarters of that game, Arizona ran 33 plays for 46 yards, 33 plays, 46 yards on their last four drives, Arizona, 32 plays, 301 yards. So once Washington stopped caring, it was a 37, nothing game at that point. Then Arizona moved the football. Washington thought they had the apple cup on deck winds up that they don't, that game has been canceled, but Arizona did nothing when the game mattered, put a bunch of garbage time stats up, So remember that for Arizona, that when the other team's defense cares, their offense is not good at all. Absolutely. I think that's an amazing one. You know, it's uh, uh, when you sent me that one, actually, I I read it and I was like, holy shit, I I didn't realize it was that, you know, uh, excessive. I I did know that they were way ahead, but 46 yards on 33 plays, that's almost unheard of. And then once they put up a bunch of points, I, I think my takeaways from that, number one, I'd be careful betting Arizona. I don't trust that coaching staff. I, I don't. I don't like them. Uh, Washington, I think, is an under team. You know, if, if you look at Washington, they're 124th in the nation in tempo so far, using more than 30 and a half seconds between plays. Uh, I think that Washington is a good defense. I don't think their offense is very good. So I think Washington is a dead nuts under team. Yeah, I think so too. I think you isolated that pretty early on in the process too. You talk about how they want to run the football and you know play defense there with their defensive coordinator, Jimmy Lake. Uh, by the way, Arizona and UCLA here, that number nine, nine and a half. I, I couldn't lay a big number with UCLA, but I, I certainly wouldn't, uh, you know, discourage people from, from not taking UCLA after that great offensive performance from Arizona. And yeah, I, I don't think Kevin Sumlin is long in Tucson. That, that seems to be a, a pretty big takeaway here. All right, so some regression stats. I'll let you – why don't you go ahead and run through the four that you've got, and then I'll kick the extra – well, it's not an extra point, but you get the idea. I'll talk about the one that I want to mention here. <laughs> yeah, um, Northern Illinois, seven trips into the red zone so far this year, seven touchdowns. 
Now, this is a really bad offense, and it's been fortunate in the early going. So I think Northern Illinois is a team I'd rather fade here going forward because teams in the MAC are going to score a lot of points. And Northern Illinois thought of as a good defense. They're maybe better than some defenses in the MAC, but they're not really a good defense. I think Northern Illinois is going to struggle to keep up against those teams that score a lot of points. So um, I, to me, Northern Illinois team, I'd rather fade maybe take an under with if it's high enough, because I don't think Northern Illinois is going to keep up in some of those really high scoring games. Um, so that's my takeaway from them. Do you want me to just run through all these right away? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, Nevada, 22 trips in the red zone, nine touchdowns, really good passing attack. I still think Carson strong is a good quarterback for this. The field gets tighter in the red zone. They don't have uh, I don't think they'll have a great touchdown percentage in the red zone, but it's going to be better than nine out of 22. This is a good offense. Nevada's going to score a lot of points um, against a lot of these teams that they play. So uh, I think Nevada's a team I'd rather either bet on or bet overs with. Tulane has 15 fumbles and has only lost four of them so far this year. So some really good fumble luck for them. I'm going to save the best for last here. Florida Atlantic's defense, major, major regression signs. When I saw this one, um, I, I highlighted this one really quickly. Opponents have 11 trips into the red zone so far this year. One touchdown, one touchdown out of 11 trips into the red zone, five field goals too, and five turnovers for the opposition. They're eighth in yards per play allowed, um, second in points per game allowed. Look, um, they have a really good defensive coordinator. Everybody knows that. And I think this is a Florida Atlantic defense that is much better than it's been in the past. But we have to say playing the likes of Western Kentucky and a tropical storm, UMass uh, in heavy wind, hell, UMass in any condition. I mean, that's that's going to make a defense look really good. But this is a good defense, but it's not near as good as it looks right now. So Florida Atlantic is a team that I'd be careful betting those under 45, under 46 games that are, they're going to have because I think Florida Atlantic on offense, not great, but they're not terrible either. Um, I think they can run the ball. They switch quarterbacks and, and they've had a little bit more success with their backup quarterback and Florida Atlantic's defense is a good defense, but they're going to play some teams that can score on them here. So uh, I think Florida Atlantic regression in a big way coming on defense. I think that's an excellent one. And uh, they play middle Tennessee state this week, big win for middle Tennessee last week, beating Troy Uh, MTSU 16 of 21 scoring touchdowns in conference games here uh, this season in the red zone. So Maybe this is the week that that does regress a little bit for Florida Atlantic. Again, recording on Monday afternoon in Florida Atlantic, six and a half point favorite against Middle Tennessee here. The one that I want to go back to, because we talked about this one last week, and I said we don't have a chance to fade them because they're playing Abilene Christian. But my hope is that they play up to expectation, win by about 40, as they did. I think there's a chance to go against this team going forward. That is the Virginia Cavaliers. In conference games, in their seven games against the ACC, 5.21 yards per play. In their seven ACC games, 6.44 yards against per play. So they've been outgained by 1.23 yards per play in conference. Of course, it turns out they play Florida State this week, who I pretty much cannot bet on, even if I was given free money to do it. But Virginia is a big regression candidate for me. I'm going to be kicking myself in the ass if Florida State does play well against them this week. I don't think I can take it unless it gets you know quite a bit higher here. But I will say that there is a little bit of money on Florida State here at the outset. So I think somebody else paying attention to this yards per play differential for Virginia. Yeah, I can't take Florida State 
Um, I, even at 10, I can't take Florida State. So it's dropped below that number right now as we're talking. Um, I do think, though, when I look at the schedule going forward for Virginia, Virginia then hosts Boston College. That could be a good play on Boston College. And then also Virginia at Virginia Tech also could be a good play on Virginia Tech. So let's, let's talk about Virginia again in these coming weeks. That sounds good to me. I got a trivia question for you here. So Northern Uh-oh. Illinois, right? You said they're seven for seven on touchdowns in the red zone. But who's the other team in the country that's 100% on touchdowns in the red zone? Um, have they played many games? No, they've played three. Okay. Um, uh, I could give Buffalo? you, a, I could give you Buffalo? 126 guesses and I don't think you get this. Okay. My guess was Buffalo, but it's UMass. They're one, UMass. <laughs> they're oh one for gosh. one. <laughs> they have one trip into the red zone in three games, but they did score uh, a touchdown. That was a trick question. That was a trick question. Boise I'm throwing State a flag second. on that one. Boise State third, by the way, 15 of 16. Western Michigan 12 for 13. Uh, Eastern Michigan 11 for 12. So uh, directional Michigan schools doing pretty well when they get to the red zone. But yes, UMass, one for one. It's the only time they'll ever, ever lead the country in anything offensively. So uh, credit to them for that. All right, so we got some games to break down here. And, and as I said, again, we are recording this on Monday afternoon. So some of these numbers may have moved. And this one probably will because this is an extremely high-profile game Friday afternoon. Notre Dame and North Carolina, four and a half and 66. The numbers here as we're talking on Monday afternoon with Notre Dame, a favorite in Chapel Hill. And you know, I think the big takeaway for this one is, Kyle, I imagine a lot of people are going to go, how is Notre Dame only favored by that much? And that will be the talk, the talking point, the narrative on every mainstream show, this and that, so on and so forth. But people are going to ask, how can this line only be four and a half? Notre Dame's number two in the country and, and whatever else. Look, North Carolina's defense ain't great, but damn, is that offense good? Yeah, it is. And uh, if you look at yards per play margin, North Carolina seventh in the country, plus 2.01 yards per play. Notre Dame's plus 1.47. I haven't looked at their strength of schedule. I assume Notre Dame's played a tougher schedule. But um, Notre Dame, to me, is a is a very good team. I don't think they're an elite team. Notre Dame's a good team, certainly. Um, their defense is good. Their offense has improved here of late. The thing about North Carolina is North Carolina has kind of not played as good as I thought they would play so far in the season. So I think it's dangerous to say Notre Dame is only laying this many points. It's free money, you know, that type of thing. Also, when you hear that narrative, I mean, your antenna have to go up and you have to get a little bit worried. Notre Dame's seventh in the country and third down uh, conversion percentage offense, 54.05%. I think that's likely to regress a bit. Notre Dame also fifth and third down com- conversion percentage defense, 25.96. Um, so Notre Dame's been really fortunate from that from that standpoint. Um, Notre Dame has a big edge special teams-wise, according to S&P here, 37th against 110. I think North Carolina is going to score a lot of points in this game, and I tend to lean toward the over. My number in this one was 66, and they didn't put out anything much lower than that. It was 65. Uh, now it's 66 as we're talking. So, um, I would lean to the over here. I don't think I'm going to have a play in this game. I think if I had to bet something here, I would probably take North Carolina later in the week because I assume here uh, later in the week, I think you're going to be able to get a line better than what we're talking about right now. 
Interestingly enough, and I know Sagarin's kind of bastardized and skewed this year with, you know, conference only schedules and, and this and that, but North Carolina's strength of schedule 63rd, Notre Dame 66th. So that's kind wow. of interesting with the fact that Notre Dame, you know, played Clemson earlier on in the year. So, you know, I, I think that's a, a pretty interesting thing there that, you know, their strength of schedule isn't higher having played a team like Clemson, but you know, kind of right. is what it is here, I guess. Um, I, my number's two and a half here. So, I mean, if anything, I lean the North Carolina side. I, I agree with you. I think it's over or nothing on the total because I do think North Carolina moves it. I think this is the kind of game that, you know, North Carolina wants to be in. It's why they got high profile coordinators like they did. It's why they got sort of more of a figurehead, rah, rah presence type of guy in Mac Brown. I'm not going to be the least bit surprised if North Carolina wins this game. On the other hand, I've undervalued and underappreciated Notre Dame so many times over this season already. Um, you know, liked Clemson against them, really liked Pitt against them, kind of lean Boston College against them, and they took care of their affairs in all of those games. So I'm not going to play this game. And the thing of it is, I don't know if any outcome surprises me here. I think this is a this is kind of a high variance game to a degree. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. So don't you think that North Carolina money line? as a pretty good play here. I mean, if you like a high variance game, you think North Carolina really has a chance to win. I think Moneyline could be a good bet, especially if you get, you know, up to five or something like that, you're going to get a pretty decent price here on a Moneyline. Notre Dame strength of schedule is a little bit weaker than I expected, because if you go back and look, Louisville was supposed to be good. They're not good. Um, That 12-7 win over them looks pretty bad, honestly. And then Florida State's not good. So, um, you know, a lot of these teams that Notre Dame has played and Duke, you know, I mean, I, Duke is not good either. Duke, you know, um, turns it over constantly. So a lot of these teams that Notre Dame has played are not as good as we thought they would be. Uh, North Carolina, I think North Carolina money line could be a good play here. So if you want to take a chance, which I think I might, I think I'm talking myself into this. Sometimes as we talk about these games, I kind of uh, think about it a little bit more. And I think I'll at least bet myself. Uh, North Carolina money line here for a little bit. Uh, this game's on Friday, isn't it? Yeah, Friday afternoon. So that, there that's we a go. Really so recovering. Yeah, yeah, recovering from the the Thanksgiving large meal. So instead of a Black Friday shopping, I'll be watching this one probably. There you go. And, and, and again, I mean, look, North. I understand North Carolina lost to Virginia, a team I'm looking for a lot of aggression from. I know they lost to Florida State. They basically played two bad halves this year, and they both cost them. So you know, I don't. I don't we I don't think we've seen the ceiling for this North Carolina team yet. Maybe we end up seeing it here in this game. How about game 139-140 here? Oregon and Oregon State. They used to call it the Civil War. It's not PC anymore, so they don't call it that. They don't have a name for it, actually. Oregon's 13 and a half point favorite, total 64 here in this one. Again, as we're recording on Monday afternoon. And uh I know you've already got a you've got one position in this game, and uh, we're kind of thinking about maybe making another one. Yeah, you know, I like Oregon and Oregon State over the total. I got a better number than what's available now. And I, uh, when this airs, I, it probably will even be higher. So I, I like Oregon and Oregon State over. And I'll say my cutoff point would be 65 here. I wouldn't bet it over 65. Um, so as you're listening to this, pay attention to what the number is because I got 61 and a half on the over. So um, this, is, this is one where Oregon – to me, Oregon is a team that's much different than last year. And it's my bad for not realizing that they would be um, a lot better on offense and more chunk plays. You know, you lose a good, as good a quarterback as they just lost. And you kind of think, well, maybe the offense won't be as good. But Moorhead is such a good offensive coordinator that uh, this offense looks really good. They're getting a lot of ex- explosive plays. 
Oregon is sixth in the nation in yards per play so far this year. Uh, they're running the ball really well, 5.7 yards per carry. I don't think Oregon State can stop them. Oregon State's giving up 5.21 yards per carry so far this season. And Oregon State hasn't exactly played offenses that are great at running the football. So I think Oregon's going to score a lot of points in this game. I think Oregon team total over would be a good bet here. At the same time, I kind of like Oregon State team total over too, because I think Oregon's defense has been a real big disappointment. You know, they're 5.17 yards per carry allowed so far this year. They're 100th in the nation in yards per play allowed. This should not be this bad. I don't, I don't know why Oregon's defense is this bad. Um, Oregon State is a good running team. Uh, Jefferson, a good running back. They don't have a good quarterback. I do think, though, that Oregon State can break some of those big gain uh, run plays like they did the other day against Cal. So I think that both teams get a lot of big gainers in this one. As far as where this line will go, I guess, uh, you know, this is sitting 13 and a half with extra juice as we're talking right now. I think it's, it's pretty likely that this one will touch 14 at some point, don't you? Yeah, I, I think so. And in fact, there globally, there are a couple of 14s out there. And okay. I wonder how long 14 will last. I think that's kind of a, an interesting talking point in and of itself. Two things. One, in watching Oregon, I can tell you that they look like they're going to be a much better second half team this year. They have made some very nice adjustments. Moorhead in particular has made some good adjustments offensively. They played a very bad first half against Washington State, played a very good second half against Washington State. That's the one that kind of stands out in my mind. The second thing is, In watching that Washington State game, I thought Oregon was really bad fundamentally. Their tackling angles, their pursuit angles were just all bad. You know, I mean, they've got guys that can make plays back there. They've got some highly touted recruits, stuff like that. But they're either not coached up well or or something else. But they took a lot of bad angles at Washington State players in that game. And, you know, you take bad angles, and maybe it's a a reps thing because the Pac-12 started so late. But you take bad angles, and all of a sudden, it's an extra five or six yards, something like that. And we know the game's tailored to offense. We know Oregon's given up a lot of yards per play, stuff like that. Unless they shore those things up here, I think Oregon State can move the football. So, like you said, you got a little bit better of a number, 65 is your cutoff. I think maybe, you know, a first half over, something like that, before Oregon is able to adjust, or even a second half over, because Oregon has adjusted so nicely offensively. Like there are some derivative markets to play here if, if you don't like the pre-flop action. Yeah, if this one's low scoring early, I, I like a live over quite a bit because I do think they'll end up scoring a decent amount of points in this game. Um, Oregon secondary, uh, specifically, if you look at their DBs, I don't know anybody who would have uh, put them anywhere other than the top six or eight in the country and secondary before the season. And they haven't been very good. And against the run, they've been terrible. So I think Oregon's been a really big disappointment defensively. We'll have to keep track of this and see if they do improve or not. But at this point, I think Oregon's going to score a lot of points in this game. And when they get ahead, if we assume they're going to be ahead, I think Oregon State will have a chance to score back too. Oregon State playing really quick this year too, 29th in tempo. Yeah, definitely like that. I know you pick on those tempo changes a lot because those are things that the market is a little bit slow to react to. Uh, Kudos to you for getting out in front of the line move here. And again, like we talked about, whether this wins or loses, you got the best of the number that you know you possibly could, and you're going to have some closing line values. So uh, hopefully that winds up working out for you. We'll jump way down the board here. Going to talk about a couple of rivalry games, and, and I should, I guess we should have prefaced this before we talked about Oregon, Oregon State. But in terms of rivalry games, I mean, does does that does the fact that it's a rivalry game change your handicap at all? 
Well, you know, I think this year is a little bit different, right? I mean, these rivalry games are not being played all on the same week like they have been. And I mean, the schedule's been so messed up. A lot of these teams haven't played very many games and all at once they're playing their rivals. So it's hard to say what it means now. I I don't want to make it too much different. I think in general rivalry games, I would tend to want to bet the under more than the over. I know I just said I like the over in Oregon and Oregon State. Uh, I don't think, you know, when I say something like I tend to lean toward the under more, that doesn't mean I won't bet an over just means that you know everything else being equal I think the under is probably more valuable I know a lot of people think underdogs are more valuable in that spot but I think that's such a big narrative now I don't even know if that's the case anymore so um, this year I I don't think uh, rivalry games I would bet much different than another game I just I hate that oh you can throw the records out you can throw the numbers out no you can't I mean one team is just Tell me you can throw the record out when Oklahoma's won what, 16 of 18 against Oklahoma State, and they just punked them again last week? Like, no, you can't you can't throw that stuff out because one team may just match up better against the other team, or one coach may just know how to beat the other team. And I know that we've had some high variance in the Iron Bowl here. Auburn and Alabama, 24 is the number across the U.S. markets. A lot of 24s in the global markets as well. Total of 61 on this game as we're recording on Monday. Look, you can go ahead and throw the records out. You can throw out whatever you want for this game. The only way I could go is Alabama because if Bo Nix turns it over, it will be an Alabama touchdown. And they probably will get some extra possessions in this game. Mac Jones very, very much in the Heisman candidacy race now, especially off of Justin Fields' game last week. He was in it anyway, but he could very well be the favorite now unless you think it's Kyle Trask. Look, I mean, look, Alabama just – they, they beat Kentucky by 60 like it was nothing last week. And I know Auburn's a better team, but uh, Alabama's going to win the turnover battle. I'm not taking Auburn. That's for damn sure. I definitely couldn't take Auburn in this game. It would be Bama or pass for me. Now, I do think that there are a couple ways I'd rather bet this game than taking And, and real minus. quickly, my apologies to our good friend, Rich Lamons, who's going to be upset to hear that we cannot touch Auburn here. Yeah, sorry, Rich. Sorry about that. But I, I, to be honest with you, I'm pretty sure he doesn't blame us here. You know, I, I think that uh, I think he might be taking Bama. So um, it might be a spot where, you know, sometimes even if it is your team, you know that, you know, it doesn't they don't match up very well. I, I think that Auburn's offense is a question mark. Now, I think Bama, when they get ahead. Uh, Auburn's liable to score some points here because, uh, you know, they're liable to be in spots where uh, Auburn offensively could get some big gainers. They're not very consistent, but, you know, Bo Nix is a um, feast or famine type guy. I think, you know, he's going to give up some pick sixes. He's going to get some big gainers on the other side. I don't see how Auburn stop in Alabama at all. Uh, my two favorite pl- ways to play this game would be Bama team total over or just the game over. Um, I should have taken over 59 when this one opened. I, I thought about it a little bit too long. And a lot of times when, you know, I sit there and think about it, then the line moves in the way that I would have assumed. However, as we've said, I'm, I'm a bit cautious about firing on a ton of these right now because of COVID and not knowing what will happen. Some games might get canceled. Some guys might not get to play. But I think it's hard to see um, Alabama not putting up a big number here. You know, I know Auburn's given them some trouble in some of these games in the past. Um, Bama's offense is a machine this year. They're so good. And Auburn's defense, while it's not bad, they're 46 in the country in yards per play allowed. Look, we know Auburn's defense has been a lot better than this the last few years. So this ain't the same Auburn team that's done a good job defensively on 
uh, Bama and some of the other years. And then obviously they've had some shootouts lately too. So I think a shootout is more likely in this one, but I think that uh, Bama wins uh, by a pretty big margin here. So the only side I could take would be Bama. I like the over a little bit better. Last one I want to touch on here, because I've got an overlay and I look the line, at least as of Monday was moving against my number for the egg bowl between Mississippi state and Ole Miss. Down to nine and a half. My number is 16 on this game. So I'm quite a bit higher than Mark. It was 10, 10 and a half early on in the betting process. A little bit of Mississippi State money coming in. The thing about it for me is this. And as I've talked about already, it's an offensively tuned game now. I've got a Mississippi team averaging over seven yards per play against a Mississippi State offense averaging 4.7 yards per play. And I understand that Mississippi State's defense is quite a bit better than Ole Miss's. Ole Miss has given up over seven yards per play defensively themselves. But to me, I just, with all the things going on with the Mississippi State program, with everything going on with the Ole Miss program, it seems like the players thoroughly enjoy playing for Lane Kiffin. He's active on social media. He's joking around. He's dicking around. They're a flawed team. I get it. But I also think there's nothing Lane Kiffin would love more than to shove one up Mike Leach's ass in the first egg bowl. Because Mike Leach is a guy that comes off pretty abrasive overall for a lot of people, I think. Maybe I'm undervaluing Mississippi State. Maybe they're better than I think. But I'll go down with the ship here. I'm taking Ole Miss in the egg bowl. That's certainly my lean in this game at this number. Um, Like I said, I'm trying not to play very many sides. So I don't don't know if I'm going to take this one. Um, I think the over would have been the side I would take as far as a, a total or it would have been the total I would take, you know, in this game, we have clashing styles to some degree. I mean, you think of Mike Leach and you think that they'd play really fast. They're 82nd in tempo. I think he realizes that offense really isn't that good. Uh, Mississippi, though, is going to score points in this game. They're third in tempo in the country behind only UCF and North Texas. So I think Mississippi is going to score quite a few points here. Mississippi State, I think the question mark here is, and it looks to me like people have really upgraded Mississippi State based on their game last weekend. You know, 31-24 loss to Georgia. I watched some of that game. I had the under, had under 45 and a half, one of my losers. Um, Three nothing at the end of the first uh, sitting there playing a board game with my family and kind of watching the watching the second quarter. <laughs> I'm just tossing the pieces around, getting pissed off as they score 31 points in the second quarter and finally just turn off the game. The rest of the game wasn't really that high scoring, but Will Rogers threw for 336 yards against uh, Georgia. I don't know if Georgia's defense isn't as good as we thought or if they weren't that motivated, you know, because it looks like Georgia is not going to be able to achieve what they wanted to achieve this year. Um, I don't know, maybe Georgia will be a bit of an over team going forward based on uh, JT Daniels being a better quarterback and their defense not looking as good. But the question is, is Mississippi State actually better on offense than they had been? Or was that just a fluke that they actually moved the ball pretty well? However, we I do have to point out, they threw for 336 yards on 52 pass attempts. So that's not terribly efficient either. So um, I, I tend to agree with you that Mississippi would be the side I would take here. Um, Mississippi team total over too. Um, I know that I'm saying several team totals here. Those are usually not available till like Saturday morning. So I, I try not to say too much about those, but I think it is a good way to bet some of these games. So I think Mississippi scores their points here. I agree. I, you know, and again, I mean, this is, this is a point I'd love to drive home and it's hard because you have clients, but there are a lot of other ways to play. And, and, you know, you can get things like the team totals in your free picks newsletter, which you'll promote at the end of the show. But 
you know, that's the thing, man. I mean, there are so many ways to bet these games now, derivatives and props and all those kinds of things that you don't have to try and beat these really hard pre-flop markets if you don't want to. And again, it's tough for you with clients and, you know, the way that sites grade selections and stuff like that. But I mean, yeah, there, there are a lot of different ways to play these things and then maybe team totals and, you know, first and second halves and quarters and stuff like that may just be the way to do it going forward. Yeah, I think I think team totals are a really good way to do it. I haven't really delved into the quarters, but I know some people are good at that. I think first and second half plays make a lot of sense. And live betting, we've talked about, you know, I, I think it is a really good way to play things. And there's going to be more people live betting in the future, certainly. The problem with me taking team totals or, or other uh, derivative bets is a lot of those aren't available till close before the game. And a lot of sites have rules that you can't post it after a certain time. Also, some people don't even have a book that has those. So I don't want to release something like that. Um, Like you said, you can get those in my free pick newsletter. And those have done really well. The teasers, team totals, first half plays, things like that. All right. So let's transition over to the college basketball side of things here. And we'll try not to run too long. I know you and I are, uh, you know, we got very busy weeks here to say the least. But I do want to recap something that we mentioned at the tail end of last week's show and Those are the resources, things that we use to find our information. So I want to make sure that people hear us talk about those so that, you know, as they're prepping for whatever semblance of a college basketball season we get, they'll know where we look. Yeah, as far as previews, if you look going into the season, uh, the Blue Ribbon uh, book is a really good one. It's 400 pages or so, uh, full of a lot of information. It talks a lot about things like team chemistry, new players, what kind of style they might play, which that's really the main thing I look for there. You know, I'm not looking for how many points a guy scored in high school. I'm looking for what kind of uh, style of play does the coach want to play, especially because I'm usually betting totals. I will say that I think uh, the three-man weave previews are really good. I think they're even better than normal. They've really upped their game quite a bit. Uh, So props to those guys, really good previews. Um, they do a really good job uh, breaking down specific sets that are run. You know, they dribble handoff, which is another site, you know, funny because that's a type of play and another site. Dribble handoff is a good site to look at. I've been looking at it quite a bit for efficiency numbers. They try to look at how good of a shot did the, a team put up compared to what their effective field goal percentage was. I think that's something really interesting to look at forward to here throughout the course of the season and that'll be something i'll try to um incorporate more into my handicapping but three-man weave does a good job of breaking down you know pick and roll who runs the pick and roll a lot who does the motion offense who's gonna uh, full court press and how they've done with it um really good resource and i think things like that where if you do blue ribbon and three-man weave they kind of complement each other so i think those are really good as far as um uh, additional sources Ken Palm's still really good. You and I talked about this last week, and we've also talked off the air. The problem with Ken Palm is it was better a few years ago when not everybody was looking at it. You know, now that everybody's looking at it, you could make a really good argument, and I think it's probably true, that a site like Bart Torvik's site or Haslametrics is a better site to be looking at right now because those are ones that not everybody's looking at now. And some of them have some stats that Ken Palm doesn't have. He has some that they don't have as well, but, you know, I think some of those other stats can be really helpful. So there's the good news for everybody listening is there are plenty of sites to get a lot of data. Sometimes there can be almost information overload. So I would caution you to uh, 
point out what you think are the most important numbers to look at. And I know that's something we can talk about here, but you know, some of those numbers, if you try to incorporate everything too heavily, you can feel a little bit overwhelmed, but the good news is there are plenty of sites out there that are very helpful. Yeah. And something I think is important to mention here is that, you know, these sites for the most part cover every team in the country. And there are a lot of teams in division one college basketball. I believe it's what three fifty three. Is it still three fifty three? I think it might be a little bit more, but I, I three fifty five. Don't quote me. Well, I guess I can go ahead and take a look at that as I'm talking here. But you know, one of the things that you and I talked about, and and it was almost in a roundabout way, sort of addressing well, who's actually going to play, you know, in which conferences to focus in on. If you are trying to handicap the entire country, I'm seeing three forty seven on Bart Torvik, including it's Dixie. He took out the Ivy League, so it's three fifty seven. Okay, Uh, Dixie State added this year that's an interesting one tarleton state added i believe this year as well so look the fact of the matter is there are a hell of a lot of teams and most of them schools that you've probably never even heard of so specialization a great idea especially this year when we don't really know which conferences are going to play and all of that try to become an expert on two or three conferences know them inside and out know those teams for whenever we get to conference play that gives you an advantage if you are trying to handicap 353 teams you will fail because it's very hard to do. It takes up so much of your time. And that's why something like Ken Palm, if you think you have an edge on the market because you subscribe to Ken Palm, you don't. Every sports book in the world subscribes to Ken Palm. They have a subscription. They know what Ken Palm's number is on that game. They know which way the betting markets are going to go because of what Ken Palm says. So become an expert in smaller conferences, or even if you want to do a big conference, just know those teams intimately inside and out that's probably the best way for you to have success in college basketball. Then in listening to us, because we always look at the under the radar teams, looking at recent trends, coaching changes, all those types of things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Ken Palm was a, was a nice edge, what, maybe eight years ago or something like that, 10 years ago. Now it's not. And, and I think that's important that we point out some of the things that, that Ken Palm either doesn't incorporate or could be, you know, something that, he overrates a bit. I mean, look, Ken Palm's a great site. Uh, it's just no one site would be perfect at predicting what, how a game's going to go. So having more sites and ones that not everybody's looking at is, is really important. I, I will say that one thing that has really happened, and I don't think we've talked about this on the show much, um, so I want to point this out. One thing that's happened in the NBA first and is now happening in college basketball more is the mid-range game is kind of going away to some degree. You know, teams either want to get to the basket or they want to shoot threes. And I think it makes sense because a lot of times those mid-range shots are not very easy shots and they're still worth two points so why wouldn't you want to get to the rim where you're either likely to make a shot more often or get fouled or shoot a three when it's worth more points so that's something i want to keep an eye on here as we as we go forward this year too is a place like haslametrics which will look at how many mid-range attempts does a team have versus the normal team you know i I don't think you really want to be betting on teams that are shooting a ton of mid-range jumpers because i think the analytics um, of shooting threes or getting to the hoop are correct no that's an excellent point uh you know again you know your your return on investment shooting that mid-range game is is not very high so that is a really excellent point there and sort of along that same breath i mean what are some of the stats that you know you really key in on uh, when you're handicapping matchups 
I, I think that rebounding is more important than anybody else thinks it is. Uh, I know we've talked about this in the past. Teams that are good offensive rebounding teams have been really good ATS. You get second chances. Two things happen when you get an offensive rebound. A lot of times you get fouled. That's a putback. Um, even if you miss that that second chance, I mean, the fact that you had another chance that close to the basket, or even if you kick it out, you get a second chance, you're going to score a lot more points. Uh, offensive rebounding teams have been really good, and clearly they can't be really bad at defensive rebounding because that's really important too. So teams with rebounding advantages is really important. Tempo is something that is the first thing I look at, obviously. Um, you know, being a totals guy, tempo is really important to me. I also think that style of play is really important, which that's one that you get more often from watching the game. I know some people don't like to watch any games because it's kind of easier emotionally to not watch anything. I do feel like college basketball, especially watching games can give me an edge. You know, I see what, which coaches will foul late in the game, which coaches won't, which coaches are going to press in a certain situation, which coaches won't. If you know what the, the line is before the game and somebody's favored by 10 points and the team that's an underdog has a coach that will foul to the death, you probably want the over in a game like that if you think they're going to be behind by nine or 10 points at the end of the game. So I think something like that's really important. Um, another one is effective field goal percentage offense, because that that is something that incorporates a lot of the other things into one. So I would look at tempo, you know, if you're a totals person, especially um, I'd look at rebounding a lot for ATS bets and, and totals, obviously. Um, I think free throw percentage is still really important too, because there's a lot of free throws in college basketball. And look, there are some big differences in how, how teams shoot free throws. Uh, you, you can have a, a team shoot almost 80% from the line. And then you can also have teams in the, the SWAC and places like that. that I mean, they, 55% from the line or something like that. And I, I think everybody has been there. Nothing worse than, you know, being on a team minus three uh, and they're up by two and they have two free throws with the second left and they brick both of them. You know, that's really discouraging. So I think free throw percentage is still really important as well. Yeah, I think so too. And, and you know, one of the nice things about a lot of these sites is, you know, you can see what the rate of three-point attempts is relative to field goal attempts overall. You know, you can see how often they're getting to the free throw line, you know, by percentage of their possessions and stuff like that. All of these things are very important because, you know, unlike college football where scoring is primarily done in threes and sevens, you know, it's one ones, twos and threes here. So a lot more numbers of importance, stuff like that. So, you know, we'll talk more about that as we kind of go forward, key numbers and, you know, some of those things in college basketball. And again, I know recording this a little bit early, hoping that we get a good number of games on Wednesday on opening day. Uh, real quickly here, we'll run through some coaching changes and we will key in more on these as we go forward. But I know you wrote up these notes. I want to make sure we get to them on today's show. And you look at coaching changes for a variety of different reasons, seeing if you know maybe a coach comes in that could maximize the talent, seeing if maybe a coach comes in who's upgrading from a weaker conference to a better conference where maybe they won't experience as much success, stuff like that. But also, as you said, you're a totals guy. So a lot of times you're looking for coaching philosophies and how teams may do from a tempo standpoint. Absolutely. And I, I will just say, you know, to be transparent here, what I'm going to do at the beginning of the season is try to key in on some of these under the radar games that somebody else is probably not paying attention to because it's going to be hard to look at every single game and fully handicap every single game with everything else that's going on with uh, the football slate still being really big uh, this time of the year around Thanksgiving, usually football's kind of slowing down a little bit. 
um, you know, for the first couple of weeks of college basketball, there's still going to be a lot of football going on. That's for sure. So I think uh, specialization is going to be really, really important here at the beginning of college basketball. So key in on whether it be a conference or whether it be coaching changes, different philosophy. I think it's a really, really good idea. Wisconsin Green Bay, the first one I'm going to talk about. I want to start under the radar because, look, if you've listened to us before, you know that I love talking under the radar. Both of us love talking in those under the radar games in college basketball. It's because they there's more money to be made there. There's no doubt about that. Um, everybody can can know who Kentucky and Duke is going to be. Not everybody's going to know who uh, Wisconsin Green Bay or UC Irvine or somebody like that's going to be. Uh, Link Darner was their coach in the past. I think everybody was a little surprised that he was let go. Um, but then they go to Will Ryan, Bo Ryan's son. Uh, Bo Ryan's teams always played really slow. I know that Will Ryan's teams in Division Two actually played kind of an average pace, so I don't think that they will play as slow as Bo Ryan's teams did, but they're going to be a lot more methodical than Darner's teams were because they were always top 10 in tempo. So Wisconsin Green Bay, I assume that they will put out numbers that are quite a bit lower on totals here for Wisconsin Green Bay at the beginning of the year, but I would still lean to the under. Green Bay will probably be pretty good on offense though, because I think Ryan's teams are actually pretty efficient offensively. So maybe they're a good bet on team as well. Another one I was going to say, Wake Forest, Danny Manning to Steve Forbes. We've talked about Forbes a lot in the past. Forbes is a really big upgrade in prep and in-game coaching from Danny Manning. The question is, how can he recruit? I think Wake Forest is going to play a little bit slower this year and be better on defense. And I also think that Wake Forest, if people are too low on them, could be a good bet on team this year because – you know, if you look at Wake Forest last year, they were really disappointing in a lot of games. They got blown out in games that they shouldn't get blown out in. They're not really talented team, but they're also not so bad that they should play as poorly as they did last year. Manning didn't do a good job coaching those guys up. I think Forbes will. He's proven that in the past. I don't see why it would change any. So, you know, from a major team, I think that's a good one. UIC, the next one. Steve McLean to, to Luke Yoklich. Um, Yaklich turned the Michigan defense from 68th to third and second in defensive efficiency. He was hired as a coach just to coach defense. After he left Illinois State, too, their defense fell off badly. This guy is really good coach defensively. UIC, a team that I will look to bet unders with or maybe bet on. I'm not sure what kind of numbers we'll get with them, but I think Yaklich is a very good coach there. I don't think he has a lot of talent, but I think they'll play defense much better than they have in the past. So that's one that, that I'll look to isolate here. A couple more air force, um, Jeff Scott, their new coach, uh, Dave Filipovich was there before Filipovich had sped up air force a bit. They were not good at all on defense. They were playing pretty high-scoring games. They still ran kind of a Princeton offense, but they were playing at an average pace or a bit faster. You remember Jeff Scott was the old coach at Denver. Denver, very, very slow pace, very, very slow. So expect Air Force games to be much slower paced than they've been in the past. And if there's value here on totals, I will look to bet unders here with Air Force this season. Last one I had here, UNC Wilmington, C.B. McGrath to to Kayo Siddle. Uh, Good hire here for UNC Wilmington. Siddle was the top assistant for Kevin Keats a few years ago when they were very good. I know they want to pressure a lot and play a very fast pace. Wilmington actually played pretty fast last year, but they were just so bad at everything. It was it's hard to know what to do with because they were so inefficient on offense. I think Wilmington will be a bet on team at some point this season. I don't know if it'll be game one or not, but 
um, I think that Siddle is an upgrade there as a coach. Well, then those are excellent things to take a look at. Definitely want to look for tempo changes. Want to look for teams that are going to play a little bit different of a style. And, you know, Wisconsin, Green Bay, and uh, Air Force, two teams last year that were not very good in terms of adjusted defensive efficiency. If they've got more of a focus on that, if they slow down a little bit, as is the expectation, that's where you find value because their defenses are thought to be really poor. But if they're working on defense and they're playing games with fewer possessions, that should help their defense out a little bit. So those types of things, that's the kind of analysis you can expect here with myself and Kyle Hunter on these editions of ATS radio. When we talk college basketball and Kyle, what can people expect over at your huntersportspicks.com website? Well, obviously with uh, college basketball about to tip off. And like you said, hopefully we have a season that's not too strange. Uh, you know, it'll definitely be different and hopefully we get uh, a decent amount of games, but uh, my college basketball passes are up now. I'm going to be sending out an email newsletter um, later tonight, I believe, regarding specials for this season. You, you can sign up for my free picks newsletter there at huntersportspicks.com, where I'll give special promos via the newsletter. I'll also send a free play every single weekend, usually two free plays. And this will continue throughout the basketball season. I'll be giving you some free plays for basketball. So you have that to look forward to as well. So if you haven't signed up for that already, at huntersportspicks.com. I encourage you to do so. And like I said, college basketball passes up there and NBA is not too far in the distance either. So plenty of long-term passes if you're interested in joining on. Well, and definitely one thing we're going to do, we're, we're going to see how this college basketball thing goes over you know the first six days of the season. And you know we may split college basketball and college football 50-50 or something like that as we go forward. We'll kind of get a feel for what's happening in college basketball because it seems like college football kind of has things sort of down to the point where we're maybe only losing 15 or so games a week, college basketball, who knows? So we'll see what happens with the format of the show as we go forward, but great college basketball and college football insights today from Kyle Hunter of huntersportspicks.com. And Kyle, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours, bud. Really appreciate your flexibility here this week. And we'll talk to you again next week. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving to your, you and yours as well. And happy Thanksgiving to all the listeners. Thanks for, thanks for listening. And as always had a lot of fun, man. Thanks. There you go. Once again, there's professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com coming up on our Thursday edition of ATS radio. I'll chat with Brad powers from bradpowersports.com about college football and the NFL. And then Friday, my circus sports million segment, taking a look at my picks in the contest for week 12. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.